kind of a challenging subject or topic. Uh, gosh, there used to be a step down here. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes I come to the building and stuff just disappears. All right. Somebody. <laughs> if you see somebody leaving and they got this big like thing under their shirt, just say, excuse me. Stop them. Uh, the whole idea of faith, just in, in general, can, can be a struggle. But when you want to narrow it down to this whole issue of having faith for healing, uh, you know, then it's like it goes to another level of challenging. And I want to look at a story today. Uh, actually, it's two stories that are sort of overlapped together that I think can help us to uh, make some progress in this whole issue of, of healing and, 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 you know, what God has for us in the area of healing, especially physical healing. So uh, in, in the New Testament, if you don't have a Bible with you, under the chair seat in front of you, there's paperback Bibles there. And uh, they look like this. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 5, verse 21, which is about page 697. Now, I'm going to start reading there. And it's, it's two stories, as I said, they kind of merge with one another, and they go back and forth. It's a story of a man with a dying daughter, and it's the story of a woman, and both these people meet Jesus, and the story of a woman who has uh, a, some sort of a hemorrhage uh, for 12 years. So she has some kind of a bloody hemorrhage for 12 years, and then uh, a Jewish religious leader whose daughter's sick and, and he's, he realizes she's dying and he wants Jesus to come heal her. So we're going to hear their story and how uh, their lives are radically changed by Jesus. So let's, let's read this passage. It's a pretty interesting, dramatic passage, and then we'll pray and uh, ask the Lord to kind of open it up to us. So starting in verse 21, Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark 5.21. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat, to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Now, this is his hometown, too. So, then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought... If I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet 
and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. Now, he didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he had put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which is Aramaic for little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. So this is a pretty dramatic story. And it starts off with a synagogue ruler in Jesus' hometown in Capernaum uh, coming to him when Jesus was, he heard Jesus was back in town and saying, you know, Jesus, my daughter's sick and, and she's going to die. Would you come and pray for her? So Jesus goes, sure. He's on his way following the synagogue ruler, probably knew where he lived. And a crowd goes around him. And, and as the crowd is, is, is pressing against him, a woman who's been sick, chronically ill, uh, comes up behind him, you know, sort of like you know, how a boat will leave a, a wake. <laughs> Jesus is leaving a little wake behind him. And, and maybe uh, just as Jesus goes by, she steps in there and just sort of touches his clothes, his cloak. And she's instantly healed. And so then there's that whole scene. Then he goes and goes to the synagogue ruler's house and there's that whole scene there. And each of these two stories contain uh, insight for us when we're trying to take healing seriously because the struggles that they faced, and they were facing significant struggles, are really par- they run very parallel to the ones that we struggle with when we begin to take healing seriously and we begin to believe that Jesus can do what we see him doing in the Gospels, that he can still do that today. And so... When, when the story starts, the synagogue ruler, who we heard about earlier in the Gospel of Mark, he's the ruler of the synagogue where Jesus starts his public ministry. He sits in the synagogue and he reads Isaiah 61, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord's on me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, healing sickness, uh, and all these other things, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he sits down and he says, and this is fulfilled in your hearing. And then he, he challenges, he speaks some, he, he gives them, as John McCain says, a little straight talk. And at a certain moment, he is so direct with them because of the way he sees them responding to him. He's very direct with them about uh, their shortcomings. And they in mass, 
rise up, they grab Jesus, and they push him out of the synagogue, and they push him to the edge of a hill where there's a cliff, and they're going to throw him off the cliff because they, they're so offended by what he said. This is the synagogue ruler from that synagogue. You know, when, when your kids get sick, you can, you can have a change of theology sometimes, right? When you're in need, all of a sudden, maybe, the, you know, uh, you, you see things in another light. And so he comes to Jesus, and it says he falls on his knees in front of him, just like the woman later in the story. She falls on her knees after she's healed. But they both fall on their knees in front of Jesus. There's a picture of something there. And he says, come and heal my daughter. And look at the heart of God that's shown through Jesus. Even when we reject God and we disobey him, he's still willing to show us his mercy, even though we don't deserve it. I mean, Jesus could have said, you know, I distinctly remember your hand pushing my shoulder as, as you, you know, the synagogue gathered around me and pushed me out of the synagogue. I'm not sure I really want to come back to your house. Jesus could have said that. A lot of us would say that. A lot of us have people who have offended us, and we don't have time for them anymore. But that's not God's heart. It's not God's heart for us. Thank God. And Jesus showed that heart. And he said, absolutely. He didn't even say, you want me to come to your house? Maybe we should talk for a minute before I go there. He didn't do anything like that. He, now, maybe they had a conversation on the way. Maybe the ruler just felt embarrassed. But that would be you know, a, a discourse from silence. That isn't in the text. But Jesus showed the mercy of God to this man. And on the way, he encounters this woman. So I want to look at her story for a second before we go back to the, the, the uh, synagogue ruler. It says that she had suffered for 12 years with this uh, hemorrhage of blood. Now, there were three ways that she suffered that, that were really significant. Number one, when you have a hemorrhage of blood, you would be ritually unclean. Hers went on for 12 years, so for 12 years, she was socially isolated. She couldn't hang around people. She couldn't go to the temple and worship. She would have to stay in her home. People couldn't touch her. If you touched her, you were ritually unclean. Now, some people look at that and go, that's the weirdest kind of rule I've ever heard of. I, the whole issue of, of the, the laws of purity in the Old Testament are kind of confusing to people. But to boil it down to their, their main purpose was to show people that God's holy and we're not. And we just can't approach God and just say, hey, big guy, how's it going? You know, me and the guy upstairs, we're like this. The, all the purity laws were trying to communicate to us those two things, that God's holy, he's perfect, he's good, he's beyond good, and, and we're not. And that we can't just approach him our own terms, that, that we need some kind of cleansing because we are defiled in a way that not only makes us unfit to be in God's presence, it contaminates people around us and they contaminate us. It's a picture of sin. The, the purity laws had a, a way of communicating the idea that we're all sinful, we're all sinners, and we're separated from God because of that. And so this woman had spent 12 years isolated. She probably couldn't get married because of that. 
Because no one would marry someone who was ritually impure. And if she was in it, if that happened when she was married, then that would, can you imagine the schism that would create in your family? Plus, that would, that would be a real roadblock for intercourse. You probably wouldn't have kids. And if you didn't have kids under the law, you could be divorced. So socially, she was suffering. It says uh, a woman who had suffered a great deal. She'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She suffered isolation. It says she took all the money she had and she used it on doctors. And she not only didn't get better, she got worse. And again, that's not an indictment of, the, of medicine. It's just, it just shows that there are conditions that you can't treat uh, human wisdom and skill uh, have limits. They had limits then. They understood that there were compounds. There were oils and things that you could use to treat things. That You can go into Jewish Talmud today. And the Talmud goes back thousands of years. And it describes how they used to treat those kinds of conditions. She got worse. And so not only was she isolated and she was impoverished, but I'm sure she was hopeless. Can you imagine you're not getting better. You're getting worse. You have no prospects. You have no money. Where is God? And then it says she heard about Jesus. She heard the good news. Maybe she was a, a friend of someone who'd been in the synagogue when Jesus was in the synagogue. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. She knew the Spirit of God was on Jesus. Now, she didn't understand everything about Jesus, but she heard that Jesus was making claims about himself as the Messiah and that there was a real division of opinion about Jesus. And, and her whole synagogue had pretty much rejected him. Because in towns like Capernaum, they weren't big towns. They would have usually one synagogue. If they were big enough, they could have a couple of them. But the word was around that Jesus was a controversial person, just like today. You know, pick up a, a national news publication that mentions Jesus and you will get a description of the controversy and the different views about who Jesus is. It's always been like that. Jesus has been controversial from the moment he came on the scene. He will always be controversial because he is the light of the world and as the light of God comes through him because he's God in the flesh and it exposes everything. And people then respond and react to that. Well, they did back then. And so this woman, though, hears about Jesus. And when you hear about Jesus, it often, this is what God does. Paul said this in, in the book of Romans. He said, faith, faith in God is sparked when we hear about Jesus. That the message about Jesus, the gospel, the word of God that tells us about Jesus will spark faith in our hearts. And faith is trust. It's trust when you don't have it. We can't have any kind of meaningful connection with the world without trust. Now, I've said this, I won't belabor the point, but you guys all know, if you come here very often, you realize trust is the currency of life. It's the currency of life. It, it is a part of every relationship you have. It's a part of every economic relationship. It's a part of every friendship. 
I mean, when you go through the drive-thru at Tim Hortons and you get a cup of something that they serve, some coffee, and, you know, you look at it to make sure it looks like what you ordered, and then you drink it. Do you realize how risky it is to, to drink something? <laughs> Do you know... Did you, did you go in there beforehand in the morning and, uh, you know, test all the equipment and say, make sure there's no bacteria in there? Did you make sure that, that you know, that there isn't some crazed uh, barista who just, just that day decided, I'm going to get in the news, man. I'm going to poison everybody that goes through the drive-thru. Now, all of you are starting to think, I'm not going to Tim Hortons now, John. You've kind of ruined it for me. I'm, now I'm, a, I'm gripped with fear. Forget about Tim Hortons. I'm not, going to Mor- I'm not going to Panera. I'm not going anywhere. If my hands don't make it, I'm not eating it. You don't live that way, do you? You see trust? You give your money to a bank. You trust that you can get it back. And you don't even really think twice about it. Because we live in a country where we have all these assurances. But when it comes to God, woo, it's, it's a whole other level of, like, I'm not sure I can trust. Well, when you hear the gospel about Jesus, it will awaken, because it's a gift of God, faith in your heart. But you have to respond to that faith. Now, I'll show you in a second. She responded. And so she said, I believe God is in this man, working through this man, in fact, I'm so convinced I don't even need to talk to him. I can just touch his clothes and I'll be healed. Now, you understand, she was living under the sentence of ritual impurity, which said, anybody you touch, they become defiled. Even if you touch their clothes, they are defiled. But when she touched Jesus, not only did it not defile him, he healed her. You understand? Because this was not just an ordinary person. I mean, as you read this story, you realize this guy's not just a teacher. He was a teacher, but he was more than that. He was a rabbi, but he was more than that. And so it says, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And so she touched his clothes. She had that faith. The, the blood, the issue of blood stopped, and then she felt it. Now, it's interesting the way this story sort of unfolds, but she, she's healed. And it says immediately, some of you think we make too much about feeling and the body and the spirit and all this stuff, but it says that Jesus is trucking along, the woman touches his clothes, she feels the power of God go through her body, she's healed, Jesus stops because he feels power go out of him and touch someone. And so, you know, before you make too much about the more intuitive side of our faith, that this, is a, this is normal. It's in the Gospels. In Acts 14, Paul was walking along, and he saw a lame man, and as he was preaching the Gospel, he said, I, the, 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 Luke wrote that Paul saw that the man had faith to be healed. What did he see? Did he, did he like, get a little blackboard and say, I have faith to be healed? No, Paul something, saw something in an intuitive way. He recognized the Spirit of God at work. Most of us don't believe. We're, we're so 
encumbered by our Western worldview that all that's real is what you can measure and control. And, it, and, and you can validate through the scientific method, which has value. It's given us all kinds of advances. But you would have to say, just by definition, that God would be greater than what he's made. And that what he's made would be under his control, and he would not be under the control of what he's made by definition. And so we would be at somewhat of a disadvantage when we're trying to grapple with the reality of God. And if he doesn't reveal himself to us, we'll never figure him out. And you see it played out as you read the Gospels. God's big. We're made to know him. But we're separated from him. And unless he comes to us in some meaningful way and reveals himself to us, we're lost forever in the, in the sense of having a relationship with him. No matter how smart we are, we'll never sort that out. And so this woman feels it. Jesus feels it. Now, it's cool. He stops right there and says, who touched me? Again, Jesus wasn't like the inspiration for Monk where He's freaked out by people touching him. Who touched me? Who touched me? Give me a, you know, a wipe quick. <laughs> he was saying, I, I know some of you, that's an old TV show. I got to <laughs> just miss you. I, I got to get my, my, my pop culture references have to be up to date. <laughs> Only up to date pop culture references, John. Okay. He says, who touched me? Now, why did he do this? Was he like, just wanted to make her squirm? No. He did it for two reasons. Number one, she needed more than just healing and health. Because to, to rephrase something Jesus said, what will it profit a man to, to be the healthiest person in the world and lose their own soul? Because we need forgiveness of sins, our sins, more than we need healing, physical healing. But remember what we've learned in the Bible, in the New Testament, the word for saved is used for forgiveness of sins. It's used from rescue. It's used for physical healing. It's used to be delivered from demonic power and all kinds of things. The word salvation is a word that means God's restoring wholeness in every, every dimension of life. In the church, unfortunately we have, have sort of consigned healing to the hands of medicine or to weird, esoteric, new age places. But the gospel posits it. It says God can heal through medicine. I think the Bible tells us don't mess with powers outside of Jesus for healing because whatever you avail yourself of, you come under the power of, uh, you know, this thing right here is wonderful. But I can't tell you how many Facebook pictures I see of people. And this is, they're, they're sitting in a group of people, and this is what they're doing. And there's people all around them, and they're doing this, and everybody's doing that. When you use something, you come under its control. And the thing with coming under the control of a power outside of the one true God is it does whatever it wants to you then. This is a, I can choose not to text. Although it's pretty hard. <laughs> but when you say to a power that's not from the one true God, help me, 
with this, you come under its influence and you get more than, you might get some help, but you're going to get more than that and you're going to come under its power. And God warns us not to open ourselves up to that. And so God made it real clear he was working through Jesus in a myriad of ways to give people a sense of confidence that I'm not fooling with something that's dangerous that's going to hurt me. I'm fooling with power, but it's safe power because it's, it's from the one true God. And so Jesus helps this woman, and he called her to tell him the story and to put her complete trust in him. And she fell down before him, and she confessed her faith in him. And see, faith is not a commodity that's powerful in and of itself. Faith has an object. It's not, we don't have faith in faith. When you hear teaching that tells you, you've got to have faith. Like, to get into a building, a secure building, you have to have a swipe card. Right? You come up to the door. It's, and that's what faith is. That that is to diminish faith and to make it some mechanical kind of thing. Faith is always in God and His promises and, and His goodness and, and who He is and in His Son, Jesus. So we can have faith in Him and we can trust that He's going to, to act and work in our, in our lives. So He asks her to do that. And she puts her faith in him, and, and he speaks the words of, of absolution and forgiveness. Your faith has saved you. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. And a burden, I believe another burden lifted off of her besides the physical ailments. And like we said, the most important burden. And I think Jesus asked her to tell her story because he wanted to bring her to that point, but he also wanted all the people around them. Now, remember the scene. It's just like if we took all of you and you all crowded right around and Jesus was here and I was the, the woman who was, who, who was there and I'm telling the story. All these people are all around Jesus and, and they're hearing the woman. C can you imagine the impact of the story she says, I believe that Jesus was from God and he could heal. And I touched his clothes. And all these people who were, he was walking through, who had all kinds of needs and problems, and they realized, that's how easy it is? That, that Jesus is, God makes him, his grace that available? That if you just believe in this person, Jesus, that God's power and grace, like we've heard of through the prophets, can be available to us? Yeah. Don't you think that whole crowd just had one of those little moments where, like the little dialogue box appeared above their heads, and they're going, wow, what does that mean? I think, I think probably Jesus just kept walking for a while, and all the people are just sitting there, whoa. No way, it can't be like that. It can't be that easy that God becomes real through this person, Jesus. If I follow him around and I come to him and believe in him, that God helps me and is real to me. I mean, I think they were just overwhelmed But when Jesus allowed that woman to tell her story. And so at that moment, it says, some people from Jairus' house came, right? So we're going back to Jairus' story again. And they go, oh, we're sorry, that bad news, your daughter died. And I think Jairus is trying to hurry his, 
hurry Jesus and the disciples along to get to his house because the story says, please, my daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. I've said before, people in, 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 a, in the world where their medical uh, advances are not up to speed with ours have much more of a sense of health and things than we do, even though they don't have as good a health care outcomes. They watch people get sick and die, and it happens in their homes. They aren't in an institution somewhere. And so they, watched, they, get, they become familiar with how people's skin looks and their eyes and their body and their breathing, and, and they just begin to become experienced with what happens as an illness progresses. And this, this synagogue ruler knew my daughter, and she's 12 years old, she is, she is going to die. And then the news comes, she's dead. Now, can you imagine, whatever faith he had, crashed. And then on top of that, the, two, or the, the group of, of uh, men who came from the house said, you know, don't bother the teacher anymore, implying... Jesus can help with healing, but he's, you know, we know death. That's, you know, who can, who can raise the dead but God alone? And, and maybe his prophets. And, you know, Jesus is just a teacher. We're not even sure about him, right? These guys must have come from the part of the synagogue that was still real skeptical of Jesus. What does Jesus say right then? It says he ignores what those guys said, and he tells it. Jairus, he says, don't give in to fear, but believe. Keep believing in me. And I think Jairus at that moment, this is like a lot of us. We look sometimes at a condition and we think, I got faith for headaches. <laughs> I don't have faith for broken bones. Or I don't have faith for cancer. Or I don't have faith. But faith is faith. Again, faith is, it's not the size of our faith. It's who we have faith in and what we believe he says he can do. Do you see the difference? We tend to think of faith as some commodity. It's not. But it's crucial. You can't read the Gospels and see a healing or a miracle or a sign and a wonder that every single one of them, faith was there. Faith in Jesus was there. Someone in the described story had faith in Jesus. And something happened. So, the teacher can't help. Jesus says, I'm going to come. He goes to the guy's house. There's mourners already there. And you think, wow, how did that happen? Well, back, back in that day, if you've ever been around people who've died, it doesn't take very long before you need to get that person buried. Because people start, you know, when you die, your, your body begins to decay. And if you've been really sick, I mean, there's all kinds of unpleasant odors around this. And so the mourners come immediately, and it, there's, there's the, the, the wake has started at Jairus' house. Jesus comes in, and the people are, he, he's, it's just chaotic. And he gets in the middle of it, and he says, he's trying to speak a word of hope. He's saying, she's not dead, she's just asleep. Now, he knows she's dead, but he's trying to speak a word of hope, and the people, it says, immediately, they just lambaste him with abuse. They mock him and, oh, you know, you're wrong. She's dead. You know, you, you failed. You weren't here. 
And again, there's an atmosphere of unbelief that's impacting this man, Jairus, and his wife and his family. And so Jesus, he just takes charge. He's a guest in this house. It says Jesus clears everybody else. He walks over the door, opens it, and says, Out! Everybody, out! I think even Jairus at that moment is probably going out. (laughs) No, no, no. Jairus, you don't have to leave. Come back. He comes back in, and they go into the room then. So they're not just in the house. It's probably you know, a nicer home because a lot of homes in, in the first century were just one big room. So this had multiple rooms. So they go in the room where his daughter was sick. And there's all the, the posters of teen idols on the wall. right? <laughs> he goes in and he takes her by the hand. Again, if you touch a dead body, you're defiled. Jesus isn't defiled again. In fact, he touches her body, takes her hand, And he says, little girl, get up. And she gets up. And it says in Luke, in Luke's version of this story, that her spirit returned to her. So see, when you die, your spirit, your soul leaves your body and goes in God's presence. Her spirit returned. And she gets up. And like a 12-year-old kid, you know, she starts walking around the room. Right? That's what they do. And Jesus, thoughtful as he is, he says, give her something to eat. I mean, have you ever seen kids that age? They, they're like constantly, they're like, you know, a garbage disposal. They want to eat food all the time. She's been dead. She's probably really hungry. <laughs> Jesus then tells them, now, interesting, interesting contrast, he tells them, now, shh, I don't want you to tell anybody about this. He just had the woman and the crowd tell everybody. Then he, at the, this story, he says, don't tell anybody. Now, why? Why would he do that? Well, if you read earlier in Mark, Jesus told a leper, don't t- tell, I don't know, one leper or more lepers, he said, don't tell the people what I've done for you yet. But they went out and told it, and it says that because of that, so many people heard about it. The crowds were so great, Jesus had to stay out in the wilderness. And see, part of what Jesus wanted to do was he wanted to be able to have these personal times with people. He didn't want to treat people like a crowd. He wanted people to know intimately that God cared about them and knew them. See, in, in that culture, women had less value than men, and children had less value than men and women. And Jesus was able to confer on them their true God-given value by spending time with them. Because that's one of the ways that you show someone's worth is by the time you spend with them. So Jesus wanted to be able to continue to have these intimate interactions with people. And if you read in Luke, it says that the word got out anyway, and the word spread everywhere, and everyone went even crazier. Plus, Jesus didn't want to unnecessarily antagonize the religious leaders who were already uptight about him. You start raising the dead, and the religious leaders who don't like you, who feel threatened by you, are going to feel a lot more threatened. And one of the early leaders in the vineyard, I told Jason this story this week, uh, he was helping plant a church in Pittsburgh. And he was a young guy, and, and he had really long hair, and he had a really long beard. And if you ever saw a picture of him, he, he looks like the white Jesus picture that you see in Sunday schools, right? <laughs> he really did. And 
he was leading all these kids to Christ, all these young people to Christ in Pittsburgh, and, and a church is being planted. And he wasn't the, the church planter. He was like an itinerant evangelist that would come into town with the church planting team. And so all these pastors were kind of hearing all these stories. What is this young guy doing, you know? And they wanted to investigate him. And so they called him into a pastor's meeting. And in the pastor's meeting, he was, uh, John, William, John uh, Wimber told a story years ago at a conference I was at. And uh, he said, these pastors are sitting in this room and they're all, you know, their, their ties, they all look very austere and serious. And, and they said, we want to know, you know, who gave you authority to do what you're doing? Who's behind you? And, you know, he was a real simple guy. And he, he just said, well, Jesus is behind me. <laughs> you know, that, that's not what they were looking for. All right. And they said, no, 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 no. We, we want to know your credentials and who will speak for you. You know, we want to we make sure. And, and, you know, on a certain level, that's cool. You, want a, you don't want a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And, he, and back in the, this is back in the late 60s, or this is back in the early 70s, uh, when, uh, you know, long hair and the Jesus look was really in. <laughs> it, okay, you guys didn't get that. I'm sorry. <laughs> it used to be really cool to look like that. And uh, it, I know it still is like in the hemp crowd, but for most people, it, <laughs> it's not like that anymore. And so uh, he goes... Oh, oh, you want to know? Okay. He goes, oh, I get it. And so he calls this young guy over, and, and, he, and, and he says, tell them your story. And he talked about how this, how this young guy had come and met him on a, on, like outside of a bar one night and shared the gospel with him. This kid was drunk, and he, and, he, and, he, and he got sober and came to Christ, and it totally changed his life. And so he said, so I'm just sharing the gospel with young people like this. You know, th- th- there are young people all over the place, and you guys aren't reaching them. And he wasn't meaning to be provocative. And they kind of push back a little bit more. And and he goes, oh, I get it. And he goes, let me ask you another question. He said, since you believe in Jesus, uh, oh, I'm sorry, he had a couple other people tell their testimonies, and that didn't satisfy the pastors. They still weren't sure about the guy. So he said to the young guy, the first one, he said, when you believed in Jesus, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And he goes, he goes, it's kind of like right out of Acts 19. He says, no, you didn't tell me about the Holy Spirit. What's that all about? And he says, well, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And, you know, experience God's power and his presence in your life? He goes, there's more? <laughs> sure. And so he just goes, this young guy just goes, in the name of Jesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This guy, the, the power of God falls on him. He falls on the ground. He starts crying. He starts speaking in tongues. And several of the other guys, the same thing happens to them, just like boom, 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 boom. And he turns to all these pastors and he says, you see, you guys have the papers, but you don't have the power. <laughs> it's kind of one of those little moments. And, and he wasn't being uh, disrespectful. He was saying, you guys don't recognize this is supposed to be part of the package. And you're supposed to be doing this stuff. It's not supposed to be my job only going out and reaching out to these kids. It's not supposed to be just me that's telling them that there is power available in the kingdom of God and that God can be real to you. And so this death thing was, this was a showstopper when you can raise the dead. And and so Jesus didn't want to antagonize these guys. He wanted to be able to continue to do this. He knew that 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 showdown was going to come later in his life, within a year or two more. Everything that he was going to do was going to reach a crescendo where, boom, no one was going to stand by anymore and watch him continue to, to rock their world, their, relig- their little religious world. And 
what we can take away from this is this, that, that Jesus, I mean, the, the point of these two stories, in fact, there's a series of stories here in the book of Mark. Jesus has declared war on evil. And everything that evil has, has, has ruined. And here's a woman who, because of sin, sickness and death had entered the world. And this woman was just suffering. And Jesus was coming as the warrior king, but he was the prince of peace, the lamb of God, and he was healing and proclaiming the good news and demonstrating who God was and what he was like, and he was inviting people to come into relationship with the one true God through him. And everybody that believed in him entered into this relationship with God, and God's grace and power began to come into their lives. Now, this young man that I told you a story about before, he was a very imperfect young man, just like all of us. That's why we come to Jesus. We don't come to Jesus because we become stained glass saints the, the second afterwards. We, begin, we enter a process and we go on a journey where we start becoming more and more like Jesus. And it's, it's not just a journey, it's an adventure. I mean, that's the best way you could describe following Christ. It's an adventure. But if you strip it, of Jesus has power over sickness and death, it's like you hollow out the heart of the gospel and you just make it about words and the promise of heaven. And like Dallas Willard says, barcode faith, where faith in Jesus now is just like a barcode that, that is, is put on your forehead and you read and you go to heaven. But the gospel says the kingdom of God's breaking into the world now and God wants to be real to us now. But it's a struggle to have faith in Jesus now, just like it was then. That man struggled with his own lack of belief that Jesus could do more than heal. First, he wasn't even convinced Jesus could do that. His daughter got sick, and he had a change of heart. He found Jesus and said, come and heal my daughter. And Jesus went with him, and Jesus showed him he could heal more than his daughter's sickness. He could raise her from the dead. I mean, is there anything scarier than death, than sickness and death? I'm, well, there are things. You know, having your child abducted. I mean, all, there are all kinds of horrible things that you can think of, but sickness and death would be right there in the top couple. And the gospel says that God shouts to us the good news that through Jesus, he wants to show that he has power over sin in our life, our broken relationships, our, our needs in our life for provision and protection and security, for our, our health needs. He has power over death itself. You know, all over the world right now, uh, the Pew Forum took a survey of 10 nations and I forgot to write the hyperlink for you. I, 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 we'll get it and we'll put it on our, our webpage. The Pew Research Forum did, did a survey uh, of 10 countries. And they surveyed Christians from all those countries. And what they found was over 200 million people claimed to have seen a miracle personally or experienced it personally. Just in the 10 countries that they surveyed, knowing there's this, the country has a population this large, the Christians are this much of a population, we sample this many Christians 
out of that population and we extrapolate and say that people believe in healing and signs and wonders around the world. They also did uh, cited a survey in the United States, 55% of doctors in the United States, medical doctors, say they have seen a healing that goes beyond the, the medical efficacy of their treatment that's gone above and beyond what they could have done in their treatment. It's either happened through their treatment and went way beyond what they expected, or it happened despite their treatment or without treatment. 55% of these doctors surveyed. Dr. Craig Keener, uh, who's a theologian, he's married to a Nigerian woman, and Craig Keener teaches at Asbury Seminary. I, think, I forget where he got his PhD. It was in England somewhere. Uh, he wrote a book on miracles, this, this huge two-volume thing, and there are 1,100 footnotes in the back of, of, of sources of people of which multiple sources describe people being raised from the dead. Sometimes people who are dead for days were raised from the dead. Now that stretches us, doesn't it? But why does it stretch us? Is it really any different than someone getting their tooth healed? Or getting an arthritic pinky healed? It's all past our ability. And what I think we have to grapple with something in, in, um, here at Vineyard is faith for this kind of stuff is challenging. It, it, is, it does test us. It does, we're, we're like the, the synagogue ruler who we have faith for something and then we, we get tossed into the, out of the frying pan into the fire, so to speak, and suddenly what we're facing is, is sort of beyond our experience. But what we have to realize is Jesus is Lord, and he has power over sickness and death, any kind of sickness and any kind of death. Now, that doesn't mean it all, it all just falls into our lap. Because you can see the struggle that this woman had and the struggle that the synagogue ruler had with appropriating what God had for them. It was a battle, and it will be a battle for us. They had tremendous obstacles, and I'm, I'm not going to take the time to describe. I, I've just alluded to a couple of them here. I believe the Lord wants to do some more healing here among us right now. He's been doing it week in and week out as we pray for you guys, as you pray for each other. This is a, everybody gets to play uh, playground. The vineyard is an everybody gets to play playground because Jesus is doing this stuff. Megan, how is Jeff's shoulder? Is it, it, was it improved at all? Okay, it's better. So we prayed for several people up front, and uh, Jeff, Megan's husband, uh, he had uh, some kind of a damage in his shoulder, and he said he couldn't move his arm like this, past this point from the pain. And uh, so people prayed with him, and he was just swinging his arm and says, you know, there's no pain. Now, it might need to pray a little more, because maybe, you know, sometimes it gets stiff again, but uh, several people said they were healed of things last week. And I've looked around, a couple of them are here, so I can't, I can't ask. I was going to ask for some stories, but uh, I've had other people come up here. Uh, so we want to pray for the sick for a few minutes here before we like, dismiss you guys. And uh, actually, when we start praying for people, anytime from now on, if you need to split, you just feel free, take the liberty to leave. Uh, you know, we're going to sort of say this is the end of the service officially, and uh, so you don't feel like you're going to offend anybody if you get up and leave. 
Uh, what I want to do first is I want to pray and just uh, I want to get quiet. Scotty, you still here? Scotty. Uh, I want to just wait on the Lord for a moment because I think one of the things the Lord wants to do is He wants to come and for some of you this will be a refreshing, but others of you He wants to to impart gifts, spiritual gifts, particularly gifts of healing. And uh, I'm going to pray and invite the Lord to come. And then if you sense God engaging you or sense the Spirit of God uh, touching you in some way, I just want you to stand up and we're just going to pray for you for a second. And then we're going to start praying for the sick. But I think there's some of you here who've never prayed for people before. And whether you have the gift of healing, you don't have it. You understand spiritual gifts are utterly oriented, meaning the gift of prophecy, a prophetic gift, it's not for me. It's, it's for the person it's spoken to. The word of wisdom is wisdom for the other person. It, it isn't inside me where I can figure out how to do the local crossword puzzle whenever I want. It's, it's something that's for others. And a lot of times, these spiritual gifts come when we get into prayer situations where we come to a situation like a plumber opening the, ca- the cabinet doors where the leak is, but we have a a toolbox, it's empty. We open it up, we look inside, we figure out what we need, and then we pray and we reach in, and boom, there's the tool we need for the moment. But the toolbox looks empty that we carry around. That's, that's the reality of this stuff that we, we're called to do, is we don't have always a sense, I've got it in my pocket, I can just pull out this gift of healing. It comes in the moment most of the time. But I believe... There are people that God wants to, to, to stir today, like John used to tell us, like when, when he was in the drugs, he said, the thing about drug dealers is the first one's always free. That gets you hooked. And so I've seen what God does is he releases gifts of healing for people in these situations. And then you see God work as you're praying for someone, and then you're hooked. That's how I got hooked. The first time I prayed for someone in a setting like this, I saw this person get healed of three different things, and I'd only seen somebody get healed of a running nose once before that. I mean, these are three very significant problems that this person had, and it was just because of an invitation like this. So, uh, why don't you just close your eyes for a minute? And Lord, uh, I sense you're at work already, that your spirit's already been here as we've worshiped. You've, uh, you've been engaging us. And in your name right now, I, I pray the release of, of a gift of healing, gifts of healing for people here to share with others.